I'm Sharon Betters, and you're listening to a conversation and a resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. This conversation is going to touch your heart in a way that um, we are hoping will be transforming and that it will offer help and hope to especially children, young people, young adults, and maybe adults who have hidden pain that you don't know how to get out of it. You don't know how to find a new pathway. It's not going to be an easy conversation to hear in some ways, but on the other hand, it's going to be filled with hope and help and redemption. We have in the studio today, Edie Ray, who, well, I'm not going to tell her story. I'm going to let her tell the story. But it's going to be about sexual abuse, and it's going to be about sex trafficking. So that gives you an indication of how painful her journey has been uh, as a young person. So Edie, I want to thank you for your courage and your willingness to share your story. And we're hoping that many, many people are going to be touched, not just those who have been trafficked sexually or sexually abused, but those who love them and those who care for them. We're hoping that listeners will be made more aware of the opportunity that they have to help a child, a child who suffered as you suffered. Uh, I think from the time you were around nine years of age till 17, uh, I believe that was the age. So why don't you just tell us, before we get into that part of your story, just tell me about your life right now. Tell me about your family. So right now, um, I am married, been married for uh, 31 years. I have uh, three grown children. Um, We have two foster children, um, a four-year-old and an 11-month-old. And then I also um, run a full-time ministry, Healing Root Ministry, for women that have come out of sex trafficking. You know, just the word sex trafficking, it it sounds so foreign to the world that I live in. And yet, as I've prepared for our conversation in my research, I was startled and stunned and profoundly disturbed to learn that sex trafficking is one of the fastest growing businesses in the world, even in the United States. Why don't you share a little bit about uh, what is happening even in our own country, even right now? Right. So I hear that a lot from from people. They don't realize that it's happening here in the United States. They don't realize that most of the women that are being rescued are, are American women. It's shocking. It is shocking. And it's interesting that just a couple of days ago on Facebook, a friend posted an article from a Virginia newspaper where the detective said that they had discovered at least one child in every high school in Northern Virginia in their town who had been trafficked sexually. And he said, he said the appalling, it's appalling no matter how you view it, but he said these are kids from suburban families whose parents think that they're out with their friends from six to nine every night, uh, coming home to sleep in their own beds, and yet 
they're being sold for sex by friends or gang members. I, I use the word friend loosely, but people who have manipulated them into a life that's a life of, of prison. It's Absolutely. unbelievable. Um, so let's we'll talk later about some of the ways that we can be more aware and things that we can do. But I do know that one thing I also learned is that Tampa, you have uh, you partner with other organizations because Florida apparently has the third highest uh, stats for sex trafficking in the United States. Absolutely, yes, Florida does, and um, Tampa ranks. And not in number one in the state of Florida. So it is it's very, very busy. And when you think about the damage that is done to these children, another statistic that was startling to me is how many children die within seven years of if they're being trafficked, their life expectancy is very small because the abuse and the diseases and the horror that they experience. So Absolutely. There, seven years is the lifespan. It's either drugs will kill them, an STD, um, or the trafficker gets, I mean, just is, is done with them. And he takes them to the ditch and just, you know, puts a bullet in the back of their head. It's unbelievable in our own country that this is happening. Absolutely. So tell us how you know so much about this personally. I'll start from the the very beginning. At four, my father passed away, leaving my mom with three girls, um, a 12-year-old, eight-year-old, and me, the baby, four years old. Um, And then very quickly, my mom met a gentleman, and I would say within six to eight months moved him in and and he he took on that daddy figure role that every young girl longs to have you want to sit on your daddy's lap and 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 be that special princess to him so he filled that role within a couple years he had talked my mom into moving to florida and i mean we our, our home, when we moved to Florida, was that picture-perfect home. Four bedrooms, two baths, white picket fence, you know, uh, picture-perfect with a pool in the backyard. And then at nine years old, my, my whole world come crashing down, or it came crashing down. And that would be the first time that he would ever start se- sexually abusing me. At nine years of age. Yes. And um, I remember that day so vividly because it was hot out. Um, the doors were open. The windows were open. Um, and we were there by ourselves. I, I really didn't have any type of a fear being alone with him then. But the moment that when he was sexually abusing me, I didn't, my whole world came crashing down. I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on. I remember the the very last words that he had spoke to me at the end was, well, you've become a woman now. So I went to the, to the restroom and sort of cleaned up and, um, and told me, he had told me that I was to, to never tell anybody. And so the sexual abuse lasted every day. 
of my life until I was, when I hit 10 years old, he would start selling me to other men and other women. And uh, what is a, so for me, I would go to school um, and act like nothing was going on. And then would come home and he would be waiting there for me. And either I would go somewhere, he would take me to be sold in motels or um, in orange groves, or um, I would stay at the house and I would be there for a few hours. And then um, some of the, the people that would hurt by me would come to the house and come to into the bedroom. And, and I know that uh, people listening are thinking, and where was your mother? Where were your sisters? How did he get away with this? My mom and, and him, they owned a, a meat store probably about 45 minutes from my house. So he would come to the house during the day and would leave my mom there with no transportation. And then in the evenings would go pick her back up. So, and then my sisters were, were out and doing, you know, their, their thing. How did he keep you? Did, did you ever try to tell somebody what was going on? Did you ever think this is not right as a child? Did you think, well, he says it's okay, so it must be okay. Or did you think this isn't, there's something wrong here? I mean, you're just a little girl. So I originally thought that that it was wrong. Something's going on. I don't feel right. Something. But then it had happened so much that it was like, okay, well, this must be norm, normal. But I did when the, all the all the sexual abuse and the trafficking was going on. I had learned how to just disappear. My body was there. I physically was there, but I, I wasn't, my mind was not there. I had learned how to throw myself into another place. As I was preparing for our conversation, I, I did read that more than once from women who are now adults like you. And, you know, when you say, well, how in the world did you survive without losing your mind. And they have said the same thing, that somehow they were able to go somewhere else mentally um, while they were being uh, abused and, and so horrifically abused. So did he ever threaten you? Yes. So he had threatened me multiple times on, he would hurt one of my sisters. He would hurt my mom. There was times that I would, um, would put up a a fight, not, you know, saying, I don't want to do it. Um, and, and like he would say he would hurt my sisters. Um, I, I remember one, one time in particular, he had taken me to a location and he was there to pick up a pig to, to slaughter it. And the gentleman also was, was purchasing me and I had put up the fight and he told me, either you go in and you do what you're supposed to, or, and about that time, he pulled out a gun, a pistol, and put it to the pig's head and killed it and said to me, that could be you. So, um, of course, being very young, 
I went in and did exactly what I was told. Well, around 17, some things started happening in your life and you were able to escape this prison. Tell us about that. So at 17, my mom decided um, she was going to um, get rid of, of him. He was leaving. He needed to, um, you know, she was, she was just done with all the chaos. And she put her house up for sale. And she had actually sold it. And at that time, she told me, she was like, Edie, you're not coming with me. So um, I'm leaving and you're, you're on your own. So um, this is a 17-year-old girl that had slept during school because I had worked at night. And I was, I, I was a mess. You know, I'd never had a job, didn't know, really didn't know a lot. But at 17, when she kicked me out, um, I remember this guy that used to come to our house and um, my mom was then, she was dabbling in drugs and, and selling drugs. And this guy came to the house and um, was purchasing from her. And um, I remember that he didn't have a girlfriend. And I said, well, let me call him up and see if he if he, he wants to go out on a date or so um I mean I, I moved in within a few days of of being kicked out of the house and we just we took up with one another. My thought was that every man that I meet, they just want to have sex with me. And so the very first night. I slept with him and a couple weeks later I ended up getting pregnant when I told my mom that her her thoughts to me or her her words to me was um you need to have an abortion and uh you just need to you know get yourself together so um I talked to him about it and he was like no let's let's start our life and we'll just do the right thing and so I had my son. How old were you? I was 18. She kicked me out of the house and I can't remember, but by August, nine months later, I was, I was a mom and had never watched a kid, didn't know how to change diapers, none of that. I can't even imagine the stresses that you were experiencing at that time. Did you have any kind of support besides your boyfriend? And was he a good support to you? No, I didn't have any type of supports. And David was definitely not a, a good, he worked, but he was also, um, he drank and um, he would go out on, on Fridays. He would go out and I wouldn't see him until Monday morning um, when he would go back to work. And so I was, I was pretty much by myself. How did you survive that period? Did anything happen that pointed you into a different direction? Well, um, I went quite a few years with, I started dabbling in, in you know, marijuana and, and, and street drugs and drinking pretty much to cover up all of that pain that had happened to me previously. Um, and I tell people all the time, you know, I was, we call it, 
in the life that we, we, were, we were out doing. And um, but just because I was out of the life, it still wasn't, it was still in here in my head. So I had to find a way to, to ease that. Um, and so I did through, through drugs. So would, would you say that, uh, that perhaps you, you had a form of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder? Yes. I mean, certainly your, the whole first part of your life was incredibly uh, traumatic. And I, I think that is, I think that's an important thing for us to understand is that, as you said, you got out of that part of the life, but it, that life was still in you. And the wounds that were there um, were not healing. And so in order to function, you had to find something to fill those holes. So clearly, the choices you were making at that time, you, you didn't find what you were looking for on a permanent basis. Right. And, and they've, they've ranked, you know, PTSD right up there with our, our military. You know, we have the same, I guess, level of PTSD as our military that have been in combat. I find that's, that's amazing. <laughs> it is. And when you think about uh, the combat aspect of it, you, you were in combat to, to uh, try to keep your sanity in every single way against the assaults that were the horrific assaults that were so evil coming against you. So how you're sitting here today and you look so normal and you have uh, a family. Uh, I know that one of your daughters was just married and um, you're, you haven't just raised adult children. Now you have two more little children that you're parenting and we're doing this remotely so I can see this beautiful home that you're in. How did you get here? How did you get to this point? It definitely was not not an easy, uh, you know, just easy. Um, it was a lot of hard work. So um, what has happened in my life um, since since all of the abuse, I started one seeing I started out with secular counseling, which was was not the right the right move. So he pulled out a prescription pad and no lie, ten prescriptions the first visit. Then I got very addicted to drugs, tried to commit suicide, and so then um, David's mother. We were the I'm not sure the term that people call it today, but we would go to church Easter and Christmas. So we went one Easter, liked what we heard, and then we decided we were going to come back the following Sunday. And we sort of fought over who was going to sit on the end pew. Like, um, and we hadn't really, neither one of us talked about giving our hearts to, to the Lord. Were you going to sit on the end pew because you wanted to get out fast? Is yes. That why? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Got it. So we wanted to get out fast and get up the aisle. And um, so that Sunday, we, you know, we both gave our hearts to the Lord. Um, but, you know, still sitting in in church and and the church was so open they let me teach a Sunday school class and you know they let me sing in the choir and drive a church van and and which is all great stuff 
you know, but I still, there was still all that hurt there. I still had not done work to heal all of those wounds. I never shared with the women at the church because I was so scared. I was so nervous. There was so much shame there and guilt and um, so much even self-hatred that um, I just, you know, I didn't want to share with anybody. Our pa- The pastor knew, you know, I had shared little bits and pieces with him and he directed me to a Christian counselor where we started taking baby steps towards, you know, um, working on the shame and the guilt. Um, letting me know that it wasn't my fault and, and the self-hatred and you're married at this time, you and David are, were were you were married then when you, uh, were going to church and, and all these changes started happening and how many children did you have at that time? So by then we had, um, the three children and again, you know, we just try, (laughs) we tried to portray that, oh, that perfect family. Know and that I say I I was wearing a mask and didn't really want anyone to see the real me. So through counseling, uh, like you said, baby steps. How long were you in counseling? And obviously, you finally came to a point where you were ready to share your story. How long before you were ready to do that? I would say probably two and a half to three years. And I find it you know really interesting that that I could work on the pieces, but it, when it came down to, okay, I have to write a letter to my mom, or I have to write a letter to him, to my trafficker, um, and then having to read those letters, like really meet with my mom, that's when it really got, it was hard, it was tough. And, you know, just those questions of, you know, where were you at? You know, why didn't you protect me? And then I writing a letter to the Lord, that was that was hard. So. I'm sure. I mean, I can imagine the wrestling. We lost our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend Kelly in a fatal car accident. And I, I taught Bible studies. I, you know, I taught women they could trust the Lord, that he's the healer of uh, broken hearts. But the night of our son's death, I wondered if I was telling the truth. And mm-hmm. that was really the beginning of a wrestling match to try to reconcile the sovereignty of God with his love. And, you know, how do those two fit? So I can imagine just a tiny bit of the wrestling that you must have had to do in your own heart to reconcile this God who loves me. And yet, as a child, I was tortured. How did you do that? My counselor, I mean, she's just amazing. And and I wrestled with God. I mean, I really wrestled with God and and I asked him tough questions, you know, but when it came down to, I asked the question to my counselor, if there's a God that really loves me, why would he have let this happen? And I had never thought about this before. She said to me, Edie, you were sitting there crying. Have you ever thought that the Lord was right there with you and him crying right there with you? And I had never, ever even thought of that. 
I mean, you know, so um, just that visual picture was amazing. It, it, it was healing. We live in a very broken world. I mean, and obviously listening to your story and knowing that this is happening even as we speak, even as people will be listening to your story. There are children who are being abused, horrifically abused. We live in a very messy, broken world. And these, when, when we're hit with that kind of horror and it, it drives us to ask the one who created us, how could this be? How could this happen? And one of the things that was so comforting to me was when a friend told me, God invites your questions. He's not afraid of them. He's big enough to take it. He, is, uh, he wants you to pound on his chest. He's holding you tightly in his grip, as you do. And I did that as I'm sure you did too, and maybe still do at times, especially, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, in the work that you have, that you're doing now, of this doesn't make sense. It, none of this makes sense to me. But I think about the the price that he has paid to to make all things right someday through his own son, Jesus. And uh, the fact that our love is secure, his love is secure because of what he did for us and and that it's not because of how much faith we have, it's because of his love for us. And there there's such a freeing aspect of that. And then another thing that helped me, and you probably have done have come to that point too, is I had to come to a point of saying, I I'm going to focus on what I do know about my God and not on what I don't know. Um, because frankly, Edie, and would you agree with this? If he said, well, Edie, this is why, would it be a good enough reason to you as a human being? You know, right. if, if, yeah. he, if, if he said, well, Sharon, this is why Mark is gone. I'm his mother. I don't think it would be enough. And so uh, not in my human frailty. And so um, the, the place of trust and of uh, freedom and, and, again, what you described as his presence. Right. A- and how many times does he say that to people in the scriptures? Don't be afraid. I'm, I'm here. Don't be afraid. I will go with you. Somehow that can be enough. Right. And, I mean, that's scary, you know, to, to step out of the boat is, is what I, I call it. Stepping out of the boat is, is scary to put that leg over the edge. And I, for me, I believe um, that, and, and I don't even know if you want to go there with this. Everybody is, is redeemable. That was, that was huge for me to learn that, that I, you know, valued and loved and, and I'm not exactly sure where in, in, in the Bible, but it, in the Old Testament, it talks about that he is enthroned with our beauty, beauty. And that sort of, you know, leads me to if everybody's redeemable, that even means, you know, the person that trafficked me, in which I wrestled with that. But I, you know, um, had the beautiful opportunity before, you know, he passed away to go and visit him at the hospital. Tell us about that, because that, that was very profound. That was a profound uh, chapter in your life. That It was huge. It was freeing um, to go visit him at the hospital and see um, him there. Nothing um, like I remembered um, 
because he was a very large gentleman. Um, so very intimidating to me. And there he was, this very weak, feeble man, just crying uncontrollably. Um, and when I got there, he just, please forgive me, you know? And um, the counselor had always worked with me for me to learn to forgive myself. But then also, you know, you knew one of these days you need to learn forgiveness. And I mean, it hit me smack in the face that day at the hospital. It was like, man, the Lord forgave me. Why can't I forgive him? When I went, I remember the prayer that I, when I was going to the hospital, Lord, um, use me in a way that would glorify you. And I got to tell you, Sharon, he really did because I would have never said, you know, to use the the plan of salvation, you know, and, and just to, to tell him about it and let him know that Jesus forgave him and loves him and, and then praying the sinner's prayer with him. And so it, it's amazing. It was very freeing. And I, I, I just know, I know that I know that one day when um, the Lord, you know, calls me home that I will, you know, be in, in heaven and we will be, we'll be worshiping together. I mean, I just know that I know. It's a profound thought, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is, it is that lime and the lamb kind of picture, isn't it? I never thought of it that way before, but I can see the incredible symbolism there. Edie, um, as you were growing up and all these terrible things were happening, was there anything about you that should have been a red flag to teachers or to other adults in your life that they could have said, there's something not right here? Absolutely. Um, Of course, you know, one year in school, I missed 72 days. So, uh, you know, sleeping in class, not interested I mean, just a line, a list of of different things that would have been red flags. And I wish that somebody, somebody would have noticed. And today, of course, is a different day where there is a national hotline for, I I don't, is it for human trafficking? Um, If you see something that is making you uncomfortable, you can call that hotline and somebody will follow up. Because I know that, you know, we're talking about 20 or 30 years ago where so many things were pushed under the rug um, and and the care for a child was not, I don't think, as intense by the community as it is today. But what would you suggest to teachers or youth leaders or scout leaders to watch for in a, in a child to just check and make sure that everything is okay with that child? Absolutely. Um, so uh, first of all, I would, you know, say get educated on on what it looks like. You know, if you see a gal that's isolated by herself or even a young girl that is with an older gentleman and it just does not feel right. I mean, I I say that gut instinct call. If you see a youth with some didn't have anything previously and now has a cell phone, iPad, things like that, start asking questions. Hey, where did you get that? What's going on? So there is plenty of information out there and it's growing. And we will have uh, information on our website. 
check out markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, and we will have links there to uh, the hotlines to call. We're also going to have a link to Edie's website, Healing Root Ministry. Tell us about that. So originally Healing Root started out as bringing awareness, sharing my story, I guess you would say empowering me, and then the Lord sort of switched paths as he does <laughs> quite often. Then he's like, Edie, now you are going to open a home. So for women 18 and older. And so we are getting ready to open um, July will be our first um, opening of the doors. And we call it the gate. And it's from Acts chapter three it's, uh, at the gate called beautiful. And what they say is, we don't have money or or food, but what we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, these ladies will come in and they will have free counseling, free group therapy, life skills, job skills, anything that these ladies will need. And where are these young women coming from? Um, actually, they are coming from anywhere in the United States. We have had calls from Texas. We've had calls from Delaware. We've had calls from California. Here in Florida, we've had since January alone, we've had 19 calls. And these are young women who have been trafficked, who yes. are, they're out on the streets and they, they're alone. They need help. Absolutely. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, it sounds like this is just the beginning. Absolutely. Um, and the support. We also, um, we partner with another organization and once a month we go into the strip clubs and we visit the ladies in there and just take them gifts and let them know that they are loved and adored, not shoving Jesus down their throats or just to let them know that they're valued. And if, if they do decide to get out of the life where we're here, we're have you, have you had much response from? Yes, we have. We've had a lot of response. Um, a lot of our trafficking in Florida comes from um, strip clubs. So in, in, in Tampa, we have more strip clubs than we do McDonald's. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So. Edie, you are really in the trenches. You are really in the trenches. How can people help you and others like you who are in the trenches in those very dark places offering help and hope? First of all, prayer. We need prayer. <laughs> we find that uh, that we we get attacked by Satan. You know, he, he tries to, to knock us out. But financially, of course, you know, is, is a huge thing. Donating items, you know, um, is always very important. Well, I, we're going to put your link on our website, but what is what is the link? If people want to get in touch with you, what is the website? Um, www.healingrootministry.com. But you can visit markinc.org where you'll find uh, the hotline numbers and some other links that will be helpful in educating you about human trafficking and what you can do to help. Edie, as we're pulling our time together, I, I mean, I could just talk to you for hours uh, and, and learn more and more about what you are doing and, and the redemption that you are experiencing in your own life. But speak to that young person who is listening 
to your story who is really imprisoned by perhaps somebody else or by their past, what is the first thing that they can do? What counsel would you give to them? First of all, know that there is hope. And there's only one way to find hope, and that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. So find find a counselor. Second, find a counselor, a Christian-based counselor that can help you and that can um, can work with you and, and guide you through those steps to know that it's it was never your fault, that you are loved, you are adored. And and I want to speak to the child who might stumble across your story that typically teenagers, young person, the one who is trafficking you, who is abusing you, is using fear to keep you quiet, to terrorize you. And we want to encourage you that that fear does not need to be what rules you. Speak out. Reach out to a teacher, to a youth group leader, to a, 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 the parent of a friend, and tell them you're in trouble, you need help. Break that chain that that horrible, evil person has over you and reach out for that hope. And then if you're listening to our conversation and religion and faith is not really an important part of your life, maybe you've never found that it's helpful and and even maybe because of what's happened to you, you feel as though what's the point uh, how could God let this happen to me? We want to encourage you to, to that that's okay for you to start there. But we also want to encourage you to start seeking the reality of who God is by start with maybe the book of John in the Bible and just ask him, just say, Lord, I, I don't believe any of this, but I need hope. And I need you to open my eyes. If you're really there, open my eyes to who you are and to what these women are talking about. And just start reading uh, verse by verse, asking God to give you wisdom and to open your heart to the love that he has for you. And then secondly, as Edie has said, seek out hope uh, through a counselor or through a friend. Don't keep quiet, but speak and find someone who will come alongside of you and help you to break free. I hope that you can tell from what you've heard today from Edie that there are people who are offering safe places, safe houses, the kind of counseling and the kind of support that will help you find a place of safety and redemption, the same as Edie. So Edie, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Go to our website, markinc.org, where you will find links to more help and hope. If you, like Edie, uh, have been imprisoned by the horror of sex trafficking or sexual abuse, there is help and hope. At Mark Inc., you'll also find many other stories of help and hope that address life crises that like Edie's are often experienced in isolation and loneliness that can lead to depression, can lead to suicide, that are very difficult pathways to walk, but you don't have to walk alone. And each one of these stories is with someone who's ahead of you in the journey who will call back to you the help and hope that you need for the next day of your pathway.